0: Welcome to Conversations with Connors. I'm your host, Adam Connors. After enjoying a couple delicious cheesesteaks at one of my most favorite establishments in Hoboken, Piccolo's, Bob Wu and I had the opportunity to sit down and talk. Bob is the CEO and co-founder of Teleport, one of the first companies that's built on Uber's API. But before co-founding Teleport, Bob was a venture partner with Social Starts, a, a multimillion dollar venture capital company that was involved at an early stage with some of the more predominant companies that I'm sure you're familiar with, like Boxed, Mashable, as well as a host of other household name organizations. Prior to his venture capital endeavors, Bob spent a bunch of years working at Ziff Brothers Investments, one of the largest and most prestigious family offices in the world. I will forever be grateful to Ziff Brothers because that's how Bob and I met. You'll get to hear the whole story and how Bob got the inside track on me. But uh, Bob's not just a finance guy and an entrepreneur. He's actually written for Fortune Magazine and Next Shark on entrepreneurship and leadership. He's also the co-founder and former president of the Taiwanese American Professionals based out of New York, also the former president of the Taiwanese American Citizens League, He also held a nonprofit board position with the Amigos de la Americas in New York chapter and uh, the Council for Urban Professionals. In his free time, he teaches financial literacy to high school students with a junior achievement. For those of you who are thinking about interfering with his benevolent endeavors, I suggest you think again because Bob happens to also be a second-degree black belt in kendo. I encourage you to be a fly on the wall as Bob and I share some laughs while discussing our long-term friendship philosophies on relationships, the importance of seeing the whites of people's eyes, how science has proven how essential communities are and face-to-face interaction is for our social, not to mention our mental health. Our conversation was far from formal and didn't follow any kind of interview format. It was really more of an extension of our lunch, but we delved further into philosophies on relationships and building strong communities. In fact, it's uh, the foundation behind Bob's company and a guiding principle in his life. You see, Bob is a unique breed and embodies every way that I define success. Although, as you'll hear from him, we have slightly different opinions on what success really means. But after listening to our conversation, one thing we can all agree on is Bob's a great guy, living an awesome life, and making the world a better place. His success, no matter how you define it, is no accident. We are rolling.
1: Testing, testing, one, two, three. This is your MC, Mr. B.O.B. We're about to do an interview, Connors and Mr. Bob Wu. Love it.
0: This guy's skills are mad. Let me tell you, Bob Wu, the man, the myth, the legend. Bob Wu, a.k.a. St. Wu. Your names, I'm sure a lot of your buddies have a bunch of nicknames. Do you have any other nicknames, actually?
1: Uh, I think you covered most of them.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> MC Wu, <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. good, good stuff. So, so Bob and I, we go way back. We go back
1: two thousand four. Well, uh, can I give the story?
0: Yeah. All right, fine. Go all right, for it. So yeah.
1: we actually know each other. I looked this up. Uh, oh wow! So we've got documented facts. Go documented ahead. facts. Here we go. September two thousand and six. So this is crazy. I mean, most of the time you don't know someone for ten years, and for us to know each other for ten years, I mean that's a that's a high five, and uh, that's a big deal. So we actually. We know each other because my friend Hami, that's right, Hami, uh recommended that I chat with you, and uh, that's how this whole 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 thing got started.
0: Wow! So big shout out actually to Hami.
1: Hami Bach, yeah, Hami yeah. Bach. And
0: what's going on with Hami these days?
1: Well, uh, she's in LA, uh-huh. and uh, she is. Last I heard, she
0: was uh, working with her family in the travel. So you stayed in touch. Yeah. Off and on. Because that's how you do things. And that's why, that's one of the many reasons that you're here today. It just really is. Sorry to interrupt you uh, talking about us, but you know, Bob's a special person. We'll get into that. And those who don't know him, if there is anyone that doesn't know him, is going to quickly learn about all the many things that make him such a special person, whether it's just... Uh, Uh, Just a a genuine guy, a giving guy, friendly guy, bright guy, interesting guy. You're setting expectations too high now, Adam. (laughs) No, you're going to meet him. (laughs) And a fun guy. Every time that I think of uh, just even just your name, a smile comes to my face. We have a lot of fun. We play hoops together. Adam, I'm married. You know that, right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> and you are this. too, I think. All right, we'll keep this. i <laughs> will yeah. keep this between us <laughs> and whoever's listening. So, no. In in all seriousness, so I get yes. Oh so, God, September of of 2006. So Omni, I re- I really appreciate that introduction. I'm forever eternally grateful. Uh, Bob's become a really really good friend, and also uh, he's flipped it on it, and he's become a mentor. He's helped me tremendously in being here today, getting network wise, rocking and rolling. can i
1: jump in for a second yeah yeah Uh, because you know uh, i'm only here today because of adam and that's that's the truth i got my first job in new york because of adam and he doesn't know this but i know this which is that he really went to bat for me um when i got hired i was uh, i came over to new york with uh you know i was working in shanghai and uh, i didn't have that much us investment banking experience and adam met me and when he was recommending me to my firm uh, that I worked at, he literally went to bat for me and said, look, he's the guy that's the best fit for you, and you guys should give him a chance. And uh, yeah, so I'm only here because of you, Adam. And that's that's really the truth. I would not be in New York. I would not be sitting here if I never got that first job. So thank you, Adam.
0: Well, it was selfish. Selfish uh, benevolence, I guess. <laughs> and it, and it's worked out well. Yeah, I mean, I um, so I used, to, I used to be a recruiter, and I met some amazing people. And what would happen is... Uh, the beauty of doing what I did is I got to meet some really cool, interesting people that were bright, that were just, you know, just very, very well-rounded. And once in a while I come across, I shouldn't say once in a while, because it really doesn't uh, happen that often to someone like you, but every once in a blue moon, I do meet some people that just really stand out from the rest. And, and I remember when we had met that I remember the guy that was working with me at the time, I remember saying, this is a kid, and at the time you were a kid, uh, that is just going places. He gets it, he's smart, he's cultured, he's done a lot of really interesting things, and he's just a, um, a philosophical thinker. I, I don't remember what we talked about, but something that we talked about when we first met, he stuck with me. And I think that was the conversation that I actually had with Hamayan, who was your boss at at that time, that I think kind of helped get you over the edge, not that you really needed it, so I think you're giving me more credit than... than no, no, really I, I definitely needed it.
1: I don't know if you know this, but I actually got to, because after Hermione left, I actually got to see what the hiring process was in all of his notes. <sighs> oh, are you kidding me? I'm not kidding at all, because they, they basically promoted me to his role, oh, wow. and then I had to take over and see what the hiring process was, because I had to hire someone new. And uh, so, so I got to see exactly what all the notes were on all the candidates in the past, and you know what the process was. Wow! And, and so, I, I know for a
0: fact that you went to go bat for me. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I'll tell you, I am batting a thousand. <laughs> no, 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 no. Here, well, actually, this is this is an interesting story. So, so there's been a few times. So back in the, from the recruiting uh, days, where I've made certain comments like. One of the things that with the recruiting and one of the things that reason I don't like it, the the way that things have changed is that what I did like about it was it was a relationship business. So you got to know people and you, you really first and foremost needed to know your client because you needed to know what fits. That's that's first and foremost. And then once you knew what they were looking for, then you could go and source the right types of people. So. A lot of times, one of the things that made me, what I felt good is that I really was good at putting things together, not matching up a job description with the requirements with the resume. It was just cookie cutter, and that's the way that things have evolved too. So anyways, I guess the cat's out of the bag. Sim- similar with you, there, was a, there have been a couple of other situations where companies were it's not that they weren't bullish on you but but maybe for one reason or another there's a lot not, of
1: biases right
0: whatever it is you know so i've had uh there's three other people in particular where i've had similar situations and they've all become good friends like you and and one other guy knows actually and and he had a very similar situation so, so this is an interesting story and then i want to make this more about you but there's a guy at a major private equity firm Multi-billion-dollar private equity firm, and this guy came in from another state. He flew in, and he's a bright guy. He came referred, a little sure of himself, more so than than most, and clearly had the capabilities. But um, you know, the, the the top brass found him a little too much, so they were passing on him. And I said, please, I, I've gotten to know this guy, and I know your culture, and I know what the role is and what it takes, and have him come back. Give him another shot, and and if he doesn't pan out, then you don't need to take my call again. And and it worked out, and and I never said anything to him, and he actually came. I think it was about a year ago. He just I, I didn't know that you you know knew anything either, but it was about a year ago. He says he says he goes, I know what you did. <laughs> so, but my point is actually there have been so uh, I'm actually four for four on that, and of those four people, they've all just become good friends. You know, you just know. So let's get back. That's enough about me. I want to talk about you and I want the world to know who you are, some of the really interesting things that you've done and how you've been able to do it. So maybe let's go back to 2006 or actually before that. Give a quick summation of, of, you know, school, the the international travels you had that put you in a position to be in that awesome role.
1: I, I mean, yeah. So my background is I grew up in Houston, Texas. And born and raised, and I went to school at University of Southern Cali- uh, California, USC.
0: For the, for the record, he's wearing a Houston's Astro shirt as we speak.
1: Yes, I am. Big fan. So uh, from there, it, well, during the summers, I would actually go and do uh, nonprofit work. So I was part of an organization called Amigos de las Americas. And uh, we would go to Paraguay, we'd go to Mexico, and I would spend my summers there doing like non uh, development and community service in rural Mexico, rural Paraguay. And then one of the summers while I was at USC, I also uh, interned with the State Department in Vietnam. And so, uh, you know, I graduated with a degree in international relations and I thought I was going to do international business. So I went to Shanghai and spent two years there uh, working in pre-IPO technology companies and consulting uh, and realized that it was still too early. And a lot of the stuff that they were doing was not actually legitimate. And so... Uh, my dad actually said, "Bob, if you really want to understand what's going on in the financial world, uh, you should definitely go to New York." And as a young 20-something, you know, you don't know what you want to do, and so I, you know, went with that and uh, ended up in New York. And so it was really difficult. I'll, I'll be honest. You know, you're you have uh, all the success from your travel, from uh, making it in, in China, developing relationships, finding a job there. And then you go to New York and basically everything is flipped upside down. And so I had to humble myself and be like, I'm looking for a job. Most of my experience in China is not applicable to anything anyone is hiring for in New York. And, you know, that's what I did. I just said, hey, I'm going to be, you know, really, really, uh, and I'm going to be asking basically all my friends to see if they have any connections anywhere. And I got lucky and I got to meet Adam. And so uh, Adam uh, helped me get a job with uh, Ziff Brothers Investments, ZBI. And uh, it turned out to be not what I expected in a very positive way. So do you remember back in 2006, every single person wanted to be working in an investment bank? Why? Because you graduated and you already were making 140 k with zero experience out of college. It's really hard to uh, compete against that. And so I was like, well, I don't know, this family office, uh, who, who works in a family office these days? But no one knew uh, that family office would be the place to be because 2007, 2008, the financial crisis ended up, family office was where everyone wanted to be. You had long-term permanent capital and all of my friends lost all their jobs because everyone in the finance financial industry got crushed. And I ended up in a great spot all because of Adam once again. And, you know, it worked out because I ended up staying there for seven, seven and a half years, um, which is a pretty long time. And
0: uh, and you quickly made a name for yourself, you know, there was a fairly big, probably one of the largest family offices, that at least the largest that I know of. And um, you had an opportunity to work hand in hand with the, the top brass and make a really big impression, especially, you know, again, how old were you at the time you were? Started when
1: I was like what twenty four?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it t- tough to be facing off with the people that are essentially kind of controlling the world, you know, more, more so than most people. And, and I don't want to get into this for, you know, for a variety of reasons. But essentially, um, yeah, you were in in a spot, not an easy spot to uh, to shine, but you did. You made amazing relationships. Um, I know we'd go to the holiday party every year, and, and Bob was uh, he was the mayor. You know, you walk around. I mean, everybody knew who you were. Um, everybody liked you. I'd check in. There were a bunch of other people within the firm, and your name, you're just a, a golden name. You know, my wife and I, and I we talk about, like, how does he know? It's a you know, large organization. Like, how did you get an opportunity to meet all these people and for them to get to know you on the level that they did? So uh, tell me about that, actually. Well, I mean,
1: I, I guess I've, I was lucky to be there when I was because we – I think uh, when we first started, when I first started there, there was about 250 people. And then by the time that I left, you know, seven years later, it was, you know, double the size. So I got to see a lot of the growth. I got to meet a lot of people, you know, because of my role in the firm, I got to touch a lot of different places inside the firm. And uh, in finance, a lot of it is uh, analytical, but a lot of it, unfortunately, is still relationship business. And... Um, especially at the top tier, it's mainly who do you know, who do you trust? Um, and that's just, unfortunately, there's not a faster way to actually build trust than to know someone intimately, right? There, there's, no, there's no other way to do that. And so you just have to, you know, take the time and build those relationships one by one.
0: Now, you've always been a relationship guy? You know, it's funny. I, I don't know. Uh, I guess, I don't know, but... I'm, I'm going to answer that for you because the answer is really yes, And we're going to talk about your wedding later, because I think that was just a perfect example of who you are and what you've done. But I guess I should have phrased the question better instead of, have you always been a relationship guy? At what point did you realize the value of relationships?
1: That's a great question. And I like to tell these stories, and we're just going to go into story time, which is Adam used to have a colleague named Aya. And I met Aya, uh, we were having brunch in Harlem with my friend Hanmi. Honey again yeah homie again and the so we're crew. having brunch and i can't make this story up we're literally having brunch and i is telling me that she's this is you know i've been working as if for four years i haven't talked to adam in a while at that point and she tells me that she's going to be working at a recruiting firm and so in my mind i'm like well i only know one recruiting firm in all of new york and that's because only know adam's recruiting firm so i was like oh great that's awesome i didn't think anything of it i wasn't going to be like hey do you know you you must be working with adam aren't you and and, you know clearly that i think that was sensible not to ask so she goes off and works for this recruiting firm i go back to my work one day one day i email adam or i i think how the story goes was adam emailed me and then i emailed him back and you were away And the person that I was supposed to email was Aya that was like at Spire Search. And I was like, this can't be the same Aya. I can't, there can't be that many Ayas working and recruiting. You know, so she, uh, my friend Hanmi, who we talked about earlier, her friend Aya is actually working with Adam. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. You you, (laughs) you really cannot make this stuff up. And this world is so small. So at my age right now, I've seen this so many times, which is that uh, everyone knows everyone. And you have to believe that the person that you meet, regardless if it's on the street, regardless if it's in a a happy hour or at a family dinner, that person is going to be in your life again, somehow, some way. And if you believe that, then you're gonna interact with that person in a very, very different way. Because I think most people think of every time they meet someone new, they're never gonna see that person ever again. Why? Because it's so hard, this world is so big. You know I, i'm a homebody i'll never see this person but the reality is is you are very likely to meet that person again and your life is very long and you just don't know how it could be in five years it could be 10 years it could be 30 years so how do you want that second touch point to be and so that, that's how i approach things and it's not just from that experience but a lot of experiences i mean remember my friend Jason Tai's sister. There's another example. Yeah, uh, there's there's so many examples between Adam and I that it's kind of scary. Every time he sees me, he's like, "You won't believe this, Bob," and uh, <laughs> you know, it's it gets more and more scary. But I think this happens all the time.
0: You know, I've I've heard of a lot of ways and a lot of philosophies on how people think about relationships, but that that's awesome and that's so true. And and I'm it's funny. I'm going to tell you a pretty funny story. So I think this might have been my sophomore year of college. Uh, I don't recall, but it doesn't matter. And a couple of buddies and I were going down to I forgot if it's Virginia or wherever. We stop at a road. We're, we're at a road, you know, off of ninety five somewhere. And I'm I'm at the line for the bathroom, and some girl walks up to me. She goes you know, you were in my dream. I know you. And, uh, and it was really odd. It was, uh, it was really weird. And I was, I was tweaked out and I'm like, God, is this girl hitting on me or what? what? This is just a really weird, but she had like this weird look. So whatever I, I'm telling my friends about the, you know, the story, we're just laughing, blah, blah, blah. So that's whatever sophomore year, maybe of, of college. And, and oh, she was younger than me, by the way. So fast forward my senior year of college, uh, I'm in college at this point. I'm back at Quinnipiac um, in Connecticut where this happened. I think this was in Delaware or Maryland I don't, or whatever, I don't know, somewhere south. And this girl walks up to me. She goes, you remember me? And I look over and it was and it was this that girl that I'd met at the rest stop who said that I was part. So to your point about you never, you know, you should treat people because they're going to come back into your life. Case in point.
1: It, it, and it could be the most random encounter, right? And, it, and so going back in time, if you knew that was true, how would you have treated that person? Right? Completely different.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? And then how long have you been thinking like that? Because that's a that's a really powerful way to think about things. And I am going to start thinking that way. I, I feel like I'm pretty good, but kind of wearing that mindset hat, I think that really changes the game.
1: It, it's developed over time. It's evolved, honestly. But even when we talk about this relationship, you know, it's uh, it's one where I had a friend in college. I didn't even talk to her for, you know, for probably a year because while I was in Shanghai, we didn't connect that much. But when I got to New York, you know, that same relationship, I'm asking for help. And it's because of her that I'm here today and all that stuff. But you never know when you need help from someone. And life is all about, you know, helping each other. And you don't know when your low point is going to be, you don't know when your high point is going to be. And I guess for me, it's been evolved over the years, just seeing, you know, when people needed something or if I needed something, people came through, I came through and just seeing, you know, paying it forward. It's a, it's an ongoing process. And I've just seen like this actually works over a long period of time. If you're willing to commit to this exercise, this works and it's not always going to be obvious how it works, but it works. And and so I guess, I don't know. It's just evolved since I've been in New York, honestly.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I, I completely agree, and I subscribe to that way of thinking. I was at an event the other night, met a guy, really interesting guy. He's a startup guy, and he got funded, and he did very well. And But he was telling me the story. He, the, the guy just got it. I'm sitting next to him, and after a couple of minutes, I'm like, I like this guy. I could tell he he gets it. So kind of after the formality of this event, him and I are talking – and, uh, you know, I asked him, hey, well, you know, have you always thought this way? And he said, not at all. <laughs> he said he was at an event one time. I don't know if it was a VC event or something. And he was looking for money. VCs are there. And they they asked everybody that was in the audience that's looking for money to stand up. So everybody stood up, almost everybody. And he said, OK, cool. He goes, then, then they said, you know, how many people have done this before and have raised money and have been really successful? And like half the audience sat down. So then you're left with half. Next question was, okay, great. So you guys have been successful. How many of you have helped somebody else? Or you guys came here with an ask, but how many of you guys came here to help somebody and have done anything? And he, and he said there was like practically nobody. Then they, they turned it around and they said, no, you got to remember you're, you came here for an ask, but you you should really come here to help. And had you came here with the right mindset of helping, there's a higher probability that you would have been rewarded. Um, and, he, and that was like a big wake-up call for him. And ever since... You know, he goes to places to help. When that kind of that switch flipped, his success flipped. Also, like he's since then, you know, had multiple successes. And it's and not only that, he just feels so much better because he's spending more of his time helping other people. And by default, he's getting helped.
1: I think it's it's a long term process, right? It's not. There's no single thing that you can do, but it's uh, something that you commit to. And so. You don't know how the things you do today will be helpful. Uh, you don't know what you don't know, but you do know that some point in the future, things, good things, will come. And I think it's it's a state of mind.
0: Yeah. So fast forward, you're seven or eight years. You kick some butt. You took some names. You had an opportunity to take a nice package, which you passed on to do something on a on a more entrepreneurial level. Is that?
1: Yeah. So at the time, I actually. I got the opportunity to interact with the former president of Ziff Davis Media or Ziff Davis Publishing. And, you know, he asked me, he said, Bob, I've enjoyed working with you. And would you like to start a venture capital firm together? And so at that time, I was uh, risk on. I basically wanted to take on more risk and be more entrepreneurial. And so we decided to do that. And it was called Social Starts. And so we invested in a lot of New York companies like Greenhouse, HR, Boxed, Triple Lift,
0: uh, Elite Daily, Mashable. Oh, you guys are involved in Mashable? Uh, we we're involved in a lot of media companies. Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I knew about Boxed, and he's a good guy. I, I remember you introduced me to him at the, the Google Ventures uh, event, uh, along with a bunch of other great people. Actually, Molly Barton, who I don't know if you saw just today, she just got funded... On one of I think she raised over a million or a million and a half. I don't know. did you see that? Yeah, so that was um, her business actually just as I, I meant to tell you about that earlier, but I thought that was pretty ironic. So so Bob goes on, he does his uh, VC. obviously you you hear these names, did pretty well and that but that entrepreneurial bug uh, was still itching. basically
1: was like, you know what? I want to take on more risk. And so I took the ultimate risk, I think, which is starting my own company. Uh, not even a fund, basically just one company called Teleport, or actually it was called Buddy. So this is probably a really good way to sort of uh, jump in and tell you about Buddy before I tell you about Teleport. But Buddy, I started Buddy because I care about relationships. And the idea was that the best way to develop a relationship, what what is the best way to do that? And we talked to relationship experts throughout the world and we talked to technology and social media experts and we we tried to distill how we were able to do that so we originally wanted to aggregate all your social networks and bring in the most important information about the people you cared about and deliver that to you but then as we did more information as we did more research and we talked to uh, professor robin dunbar who came up with Dunbar's number.
0: Oh, you spoke with Dunbar. who did. Ooh, I want to talk about that more, but keep going, Sorry. He no.
1: basically said uh, that the only thing that matters in helping you develop a stronger relationship with someone you care about is seeing them face-to-face. You have to see the whites of their eyes. So if you know that, that changes the way you approach how technology interacts with relationships because most of the social platforms today do not help you develop deeper relationships with people you care about. That's very groundbreaking and it's not very obvious. Um, but that is the truth. You don't actually do more with people you care about because if you see their updates, you see their posts, you don't need to talk to them. You already know what's going on in their lives. But when you think about it traditionally, if I don't know what Adam's up to, I literally have to call him. I have to speak to him and find out what's going on. That information is, there's so much more context than seeing a post, about what you ate for lunch and what you went, you know, there's so much more context. So we're actually losing a lot of context for convenience. And that's not how you develop a relationship. Relationships are not about convenience. That's originally what, you know, we, we set out to build. And that tells you a lot about sort of what I care about, which is relationships, building strong communities. But from there, we said, well, what if you could push one button and your friend pops up in front of you? And we said, well, ha, 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 but seriously, how do we do that? And so my team came up with the great idea of using on-demand transportation, uh, like Uber, like Lyft. And we were one of the first companies to actually use their API, which was a a way to connect with their service. And we built it. We hit number one on Product Hunt. We had a lot of national press. And uh, we eventually decided to uh, change our platform to work with cities specifically so that we can help cities transport Uh, people with disabilities, and senior citizens. Uh, So that's where our product is today. But where it started was essentially how do we build deeper relationships with people we care most about.
0: I remember even where we were sitting at Tenth and Willow in the back room when you were telling me about this, this idea, the concept, and being able to bring them to you. To make life much easier, I'm like, oh, that's a good idea, you know. But I didn't know about Dunbar. I mean, that that's pretty. So Dunbar's law is that that essentially you can, a rule, or I forgot exactly what it's called, but you can essentially all that people are really capable of of handling is 150 relationships, and 150 relationships. You think about that uh, that that's your family, your close family, your that's friends. That's average,
1: right? Just to clarify, it's if I asked you, Adam, to write down all the names of the people that you care about, their location and their job, uh, even their job or their job title, whichever one you choose, and I ask you to write it down. I don't think you could actually do it for all 150 people. And that's the idea, which is, well, if you can't write that down for 150 people, are you really that close to them? Probably not. And so the reality is, is our brain can only uh, take in so much information on the people that we really care about. And so that number is limited based on the size of our brain
0: yeah and that number is a tested number they've tied that to villages going back all the way to the day even with technology and all that so that was an amazing study that he did how was he was he an impressive guy or was he like how did that come to be
1: well uh, i mean a lot of my team when we first uh, started was all relationship experts and gurus and we had been having a lot of conversations with a lot of people in the space Um, a lot of my team came from meetup so we all cared about this so The problem that we faced was how do we use technology to fix this problem? And what we should have framed it as is maybe technology is not the right answer to fix relationships. And so that's something I've been thinking about a lot as well, which is, uh, you know, people are trying to use more artificial intelligence to connect you with people and to let you know when relevant things are happening. But given my experience, there is no shortcut. You cannot have more high quality relationships you, you can only develop the high-quality relationships that you care about.
0: It's so true. It, it, yeah, all this other stuff is very superficial. You know, it's good to, to know what's going on and to be able to reach people quickly. But again, you know. It, it takes you know, time. It yeah. just takes time. Yeah, nothing bonds over breaking bread, you know, spending time with people. Um, I completely agree. So Teleport, let's talk about Teleport for a second. Is there anything uh, else that you want to uh, mention about Teleport? I love the idea. I love the – how did it – evolve into helping elderly and disabled?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is a startup journey, so we can jump into that. Essentially we started off as a product for consumers and consumers, you know, this is probably something that people all talk about, which is, yeah, we would love to be able to touch a button and have someone come and see us face to face. That's awesome. So people did love that, but they weren't willing to do it every day. They did it maybe once a week, maybe once a month. Um, and so that wasn't a great business model. And so we had, at that time, a lot of small businesses actually were, you know, knocking on our door, emailing us and saying, hey, we would love to do this for our business. And so we started converting our platform into, instead of, you know, an app that lets you push a button, but what if you could actually send thousands of cars simultaneously from one location for anywhere in the world?
0: Everyone I tell about your business, they love it. They love the idea. that like, you know, why is it taking so long?
1: (laughs) This is an obvious business. This is, you know, without a doubt, in my mind, something that if we weren't doing, someone else would be doing, primarily because it saves taxpayer money. It makes the lives of people with disabilities and senior citizens a hundred times better, literally a hundred times better. And it just makes sense. So like, for me, this is not something where you have to think really hard about to see the benefits and why it's meaningful.
0: Back to relationships for a minute. You and I were talking last week, and it's funny how these things work out, but the Surgeon General identified um, loneliness as actually being the biggest risk of the 21st century. And I can't remember if you were telling me that and then I jumped in, or if I was telling you—oh, no, you were telling me because you, did a, you were speaking at Rutgers or something, right? I was. Yeah, so—and um, then I came back and told you about how in Europe there is a—or London, I think it is, they yeah, have UK. a minister of loneliness— and back to again the relationships and how everyone is just kind of behind their phones and their computers and and you know listen I'm guilty as charged too, but there's a, it's a serious problem, you know the loneliness uh, people are so removed from the human contact and the relationships. I mean, do you remember some of those statistics about you know older people the, you know their best companions the TV, you know we've got well, get-
1: yeah. So I mean I I we can jump into this conversation. We're gonna fall deep into the rabbit hole here, but. There are so many things that are going on that I'm tying together in terms of relationships and community. But essentially, we are programmed to be face to face with each other. And that means, you know, shaking hands, high fiving, giving each other hugs. And when we do not do that, we can feel very lonely and we can feel very depressed because there's something that triggers in our body a chemical reaction. Uh, a chemical response, which makes us feel really good when we're around other people. And technology in some ways... What's,
0: is that oxytocin? or That's
1: exactly it. Yeah, that's okay, exactly sorry it. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. You're the man, Adam. I think, I, think uh, I used a computer to look for that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly it. And that that actually is, you know, from when we are a kid and your your mom is holding you, skin contact, that actually makes us feel better when your mom is breastfeeding you that actually makes you feel great. And so this feeling is programmed into us. In some ways with technology, because of convenience, because of efficiency, we think that we don't need that. And what we don't realize is we're making a trade-off that is very, very dangerous. And we've done this uh, under the radar, which is we've gotten more productivity, we've gotten more efficient, but we are lonely and depressed. And this is I think you know one of the greatest threats, uh, and it's the mental health, right? It's not physical health; it's mental health. And so, not only is this happening between you know high school students who are you know onslaught of social media, but to adults today, um, to senior citizens, because we're always online, we're not actually spending time with one another. And so, there's also this other study that shows uh, IBM; they were actually one of the first to do working from home. So they were the first to do this, and they said, "This is great. Work from home. We don't need physical space. Um, you're going to use your own house as a as an office, and we're going to save tons of money." But what they didn't realize is the benefits do not actually outweigh the losses, and the losses are that you're not actually that productive when you're actually doing collaborative exercises. And so here's their breakthrough, you know, their their conclusion: um, people communicate more when they're closer to each other. <laughs> And I, I'm not joking, right? Because this is, this is something obvious, but it, it's not, it wasn't obvious, right? Which is they thought that people would communicate more because you had all these other tools. You had email, you had uh, phones. So you don't really need to be next to each other. The problem is, is that the time it takes for you to, basically, you're more likely to communicate four, four times more if you're closer to someone physically. And that makes sense. Yeah. And so something is being lost, when you're not actually next to each other. And so their IBM is actually bringing everyone back in house. I was reading that. And Yahoo is too, right? Yahoo is a technology company. And so they're bringing back, you know, they're bringing everyone back. So there are some benefits of having people work from home and and very specific roles. But when you're doing collaborative exercises, I mean, the key word is collaborative. I think a lot of work today is collaborative. It's not individual, sort of, you're siloed. You're working with other people. And when you're working with other people, you want to be next to each other. So this is just another example, right? Which is, this is obvious. We're laughing about it because it's so obvious that people are only getting smart to it. But you have to ask about, you you should ask yourself about this, which is, are you doing the same things in your homes? Because one of the takeaways is also, you can be lonely in a crowded room and you can be lonely in a marriage. Um, it's about interacting with someone, spending time with them, looking at them, you know, seeing the whites of their eyes. If you're not even doing that, then it's not really building a relationship.
0: Yeah. So back to your IBM study, and I can't remember if it's IBM or Harvard or Pew or... Anyways, they did a study about people that don't interact and that don't take the time to spend to build relationships or network, for lack of a better term. And those who have taken the time to develop a relationship, the average lifetime, with being within a company is eight years versus four years if you don't if you're kind of more of like an isolationist so uh, again to your point of interacting being around people uh, that's a case in point double Uh, in terms of success and climbing the ladder you are someone with a good network and with relationships has the opportunity to make i think it's almost three times the amount of money climbing the ladder in terms of getting other jobs promotions and also, again, getting back to the loneliness factor, being happy, you know, being, you know, most, it's 77% of people aren't happy at jobs. Um, So then you start peeling back, well, why aren't they happy? I mean, obviously, maybe just being in the wrong field, that's one reason. But when you keep peeling back the onion, it comes back to building those relationships, being around people, spending that time.
1: Well, you don't quit your company, you quit your boss, Mm. right? So I think that's really true. You can be in a company that has the supposedly worst company culture, supposedly the worst benefits, the worst everything. But if you have a great team with a great boss that really supports your career, you're unlikely to go anywhere, pro- probably because you enjoy what you're doing. Yes. And so I think that's, the, you know, going back to your point, that's, that's absolutely true.
0: It's a great point. So you, you've got some really interesting things that you do when you're not working. Talk to me about those.
1: I guess you're referring to networking well, ne- no, no, network,
0: I mean, you network, I think that's even, I think that's just like natural for you. It's like part of your DNA. Um, I was talking about some of your other activities, boxing, basketball, martial arts. Well,
1: yeah, we can go on either route, but well, let's let's go down the networking. You okay, on first. Yeah, I have
0: no problem there. Keep going, man. So,
1: I mean, there's several things that I'd like to do uh, because I think it's important to have a strong community and going back to uh, building relationships. Um, even outside of my work, um, building relationships constantly, uh, not only for myself but to also do it, help other people do it. And so, one of the things I do is what I call Asian American tech entrepreneurs. I bring together the top uh, Asian American VCs and uh, entrepreneurs in New York City uh, quarterly, just to get together and have dinner. I get it sponsored by someone, and we sit and we just chat and we build relationships. There is no other ulterior motive other than to build a community and build relationships. And a lot of times, you're like, well, why do you want to do that, Bob? What, what is the point of this? What do you get out of this? And the reality is, is probably nothing. Um, but going back to your point, which is, you know, at the highest levels of power, it's not based on skills. It's based on who you know, because everyone's pretty qualified when it comes to the C-level suite. But why does one person get it and one person does not? It's because maybe that person works better with everyone else. Or maybe people trust them more because they understand them. For whatever reason, you have to build those relationships. And for me, it's the same way for a lot of the people that are in this community. They're forgetting that part. And so people will tell me, Bob, this is so great. You should do this more often. I actually don't want to do this. This is a bad <laughs> sign. This is a very bad sign that yeah. I have to do this. Because that means if I don't do it, no one else will. And so, you know, that's one of the things I like to do, which is just build community. Even though I, no one's asked me to do it, I get literally zero benefit, but I like to do it because it's important for the community. Another thing I like to do is a lot of people ask me, Bob, it's great you have a huge network. Do you know anyone that needs needs a role, needs a job?
0: So, Bob, tell me about some of the things that you do. Uh, I know you do something really special when it comes to aggregating job opportunities uh, as well as really strong candidates, and I think that's something that's people should be listening and paying close attention to because not only does it serve, uh, you know, it, well, first of all, it's your time, which is important, but it serves as just, I think, a great platform. And I wish more people would do this when it comes to networking and, and looking out for for both sides.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, what I like to do is I actually get. And I think everyone gets this, which is people ask for help finding a certain candidate or they're saying that uh, they're looking for a job. And so there's a, in my mind, there is a mix. uh, There's not a really good matching in the marketplace because people are looking for roles and people are looking for people to fill those roles, but they're not connecting. And I think when you have something, a marketplace like that, it's inefficient. And I really want to help my friends on both sides of the market. And so what I do is over a quarter, people will send me, they'll ask for candidates and there will be people that ask for jobs that they're looking for or or they want to switch jobs. And all I do is I just aggregate it. I just take all that information and at the end of the quarter, I put it into one simple email and email all my close friends. So these are people that I've emailed, you know, many times over a year, not just once or twice, but many times over a year. And just share with them all the different candidates and opportunities. And these are opportunities that are unique. You know, they're not
0: great opportunities. I've seen some
1: of those jobs. And and a lot of times that's the best way to find a candidate too, which is uh, through personal networks because they're vetted. And so people ask me, Bob, do you know of a really good candidate for this position? And if I did this for every single person that asked it, it would take me a very long time. But this actually makes it easy for everyone to read as well. And I actually took this from my friend who, you know, who says, look, this is a really simple email. If you read it for less than a minute, you can, if you, if there's something good, you can take from it then take, if not, you'll be able to close it and move on. And that's what I try to do. I try to keep it super simple. And the funny thing is, is, you know, we've already made a couple of connections, but more so than making connections is a lot of people have emailed me and said they love it. They really love it because they can see how this can be beneficial to them when they're looking to hire someone or if they're looking to change. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just making sure that the marketplace is efficient, that if you're a great candidate and you're looking to switch jobs, you're going to see opportunities that you would never
0: see in your network. And I think that's huge. It's a hidden job market. I mean, that, that's exactly it. It's the better jobs. By the time a job makes it out to like a posted website, I mean, it's just, it's, you know. It's, it's probably, hard to find a candidate yeah. as well
1: because then you, you have to go through, you know, thousands of resumes. And that's, that's you know, you get really tired of that too.
0: Mm-hmm. 100%. percent their are uh, you know, referrals are everything. I think it was Lee Hectorison's study that said, you know, 73% of, of roles are found through your network. Case in point, but this way, I mean, and and these, I mean, I've seen some of these jobs, you know, I run a company here, but I'm like, wow, well, maybe that, that looks good.
1: (laughs) I think the same thing, Adam. All right, good. I (laughs) don't. There's friends of mine who are CEOs of startups and they're like, well, Bob, maybe, maybe I should apply for that job. (laughs) Oh
0: man. So, so you've got a really varied group of friends um, that all do interesting things. Do you see a common thread amongst all of your friends that are successful? Well, it's, it's funny.
1: I mean, success to me is, uh, it's a very interesting question. What is success? Is it uh, making your parents happy? Is it making a lot of money? Is it doing the things that you set out to do when you're in high school? Is it being respected by your friends and family? Or is it knowing that you are the best at what you do? And so I don't, I don't know if success is the right word. Uh, I think I had an event once, and one of my mentors and advisors told me, he's like, Bob, I'm just looking in the background and I noticed that everyone that you're friends with or everyone that you've invited today is mission driven. And Mm. I was like, really? Are they real? I I didn't really think about this. And uh, he said, yeah, every single person I talked to is mission driven. They're doing something to, you know, make the world a better place in their own way. And I think that's probably true, which is that I think the thing that ties together all the people that I like to interact with are people that, you know, have a mission and are mission driven. You know, they're working towards a goal that is, you know, really valuable for the community, for society, for the world, and they care about what they do.
0: Yeah, I would say that's successful. So that ties me into, let's talk about your wedding for a minute. Well,
1: well, before you jump in there, I mean, this is our relationship. Think about this. More than 10 years ago, you were my recruiter, and I was just getting an analyst job, and I was a nobody and this past year, you know, Adam came to my wedding with his entire family in Hawaii. I mean, if there's there, there can be no other success story, you know, that really solidifies it than that, honestly, because that, that that's a 10 year relationship where the person is placing someone in their first job and also going to the wedding. I mean, if Adam is not the man, I don't know what to say.
0: Just the man that knows the man. Uh, let's go back. So we get this invite to the wedding, and it's like, oh, wow. I hadn't even opened it yet. I knew it was a wedding invitation. I, oh, Bob's getting married. Let's do it. You know, let's go. As I'm sure you get a lot of invitations to weddings, and you, you just can't. There's so many things that go on in life. You just can't do it. Well, it turns out he's not just getting married. He's getting married in Hawaii, which is cool. Oh, awesome. Never been to Hawaii, but Hawaii, thats a big commitment, you know. So, uh, so not only is he getting married in Hawaii, he's getting married in September in Hawaii. My kids go to school in September, first week of school. So the the commitment just got even bigger. But my wife and I, my wife loves Bob also, like everybody else. We say it is Bob Woo, And uh, I hadn't even met your wife yet, but I knew she was going to be awesome. We just knew it was going to be an amazing wedding. And we knew, uh, I I had already known a a couple of your friends, but we just knew that there was just going to be a good vibe. And... uh, usually when you don't think something's going to be good, it turns out great. And usually when you think something's going to be good, it kind of, it disappoints. Well, that was not the case. This wedding was fantastic. Not only was it, um, as billed, I mean, it was just, it was stunning where they chose. It was beautiful. Obviously Hawaii, you're not going wrong, but that wasn't the best part. Um, the best part were in my opinion, the, my favorite part of the wedding, and I'm going to even rewind a little bit. I had a, a killer migraine headache during the wedding Uh, but I still and I don't know if you've ever had a migraine but it's it's, just brutal so it was I was not in a good place too many Mai Tais? Yeah no I wish I got nothing I didn't even earn the headache but anyways but the best part of the wedding was the speeches and you know know, anyone who's ever been to a wedding when you're sitting there waiting for a speech it can be some of the most uncomfortable minutes of your life like man you know is it going to be uncomfortable is it going to be is it going to get too mushy I mean, I've, I've seen some really interesting speeches, good and bad. Not only were, was the, the best man speech fantastic, your brother was absolutely hilarious, he killed it, he crushed you, and it was all done in good spirit. But Cora's, her bridesmaid, was fantastic too. It was warm, it was funny, it was insightful, it was candid, and the speeches didn't stop there. Other people spoke, and they were, I mean, I felt like I was at a comedy hour, and I got that much more into your family, and all the people around, and a lot of people we haven't met, and everybody at that wedding was just warm, fun, friendly, and that signified who you are, who you were. People that came in, people flew into your wedding for a day. They flew in just for the wedding and left, not just one person. I think there were two different people just at my table, so for, I can't even imagine who, you know, who else. I mean, and everybody... It, it was for you. People came in for you, and and that's a that was a big ask. And and man, people, I mean, y- y- you delivered great time, great people. We knew it as build, and and maybe even better. Uh, I talked about your wedding, and I never talk about it. You know, you say, hey, it was a wedding. How was your weekend? I was great. You know, went to a wedding, but no, it was a, that was an experience.
1: Thank you. Uh, you know, we we tried to make sure that everyone had a good time, and I'm glad to hear that. Yeah,
0: that was good. So. You had some so back to success and what you're defining as success. You said it was having a mission. Um, I, I think that's an interesting way of looking at, at success. I define success as living a life by design, not by default. So your definition is more mission, obviously <laughs> driven. But it, you know who's to argue? Um, so, but but either way, all the people that I've met from your crew in in all different fields, and what was also something that I noticed as something that's pretty consistent. Is um, just a really positive vibe to them. And maybe they even, maybe some of them could be introverts, but they were not in, in acting in that capacity. There's a level of comfort that people had and, and openness. And I thought that was a pretty, that was a really unique. I think that's really unique. What you've, the people that have gravitated towards you, and, and not just you, your wife. I mean, his, Bob's wife is amazing. She's beautiful, she's smart, she has this really good way about her and positive disposition, and has attracted you know similar kinds of people as well. That's amazing.
1: To tie some of this back into you know networking, I mean, there is a study by Harvard, the eighty-year-old study, which talked about the single most important factor in terms of a person's happiness and ability to live a long life was not the traditional things that you would think of which are you know exercising not smoking eating well they said that the most important thing that affected how long you lived and how happy you were or the relationships that you had right this is mind blowing it's not the physical stuff it's the mental stuff and I think our wedding was probably a way for us to celebrate our friendships, our relationships, because that's what's going to help us stay happy and live longer. And so I'm hopeful that everyone had a good time, because we're really celebrating our friends who are keeping us mentally healthy. And it's important for me for people to come, even though it's a far trek, because going back to what I said, it's, it's a face-to-face, person-to-person uh, relationship. You cannot do this over the internet. You cannot send a text message. It doesn't work like that. You have to put in the time. And uh, hopefully it was worth it. But at the end oh, yeah. of the day, you know, that you have to put in the time.
0: I know the study you're talking about. They've actually piggybacked that. And they found there is a city in Italy. I forgot which one it is, but it's got the most centurions so they did a study, you know, meaning people that have lived over a hundred years and they were like, wow, I mean, it's, a, it's a significant outlier in terms of the amount of people that live over a hundred that are living there. So they went back and they said, well, what, what's going on here? And, and they kind of used the research that the Harvard study that you referenced, and they kind of took that to the next level. And, and it was, it was actually that community, the relationship was number one, that the top two or three Uh, Factors that they evaluated all came down to relationships, interacting with people. Even the funny thing was, even people that don't like people.
1: I think it has to do with blue spots. I think uh, it's blue spots. Blue spots are places in the world where people live longer than anywhere else. I never heard that before. I think that's what it's called. Blue Blue ocean or blue spot? Blue spots. Okay. Uh, But part of the study, these these people were smoking and drinking. Yeah. So they drink every week. And I was like... And no, and no exercise. No exercise. Well, yeah. they did exercise because they walked around a lot, uh-huh. but they didn't do anything like CrossFit. They didn't do anything intense. And these are, you know, pretty old people. But what surprised me was, you know, all the talks about, you know, the, the same thing with the Harvard study. It's, it's all the factors that you think that affect your happiness and your ability to live a long life are, are probably wrong. We, you know, we're, you're focused on the wrong thing. And... Uh, that what really matters is relationships. That's the biggest thing. If you don't take care of your relationships, you're not seeing people face to face. You are more likely to suffer than if you were super healthy and, uh, and and you were alone. You know that that blows. That should blow your mind.
0: Yeah, it, it is amazing. How long do you think until it gets more coverage here? Like I know, like the UK, they get the Minister of Loneliness, and you're starting to see it. Like I, I'm, I'm seeing articles here and there that pop up. Uh, on my feed, and I'm sure it's just because now they're, you know, they've kind of algorithmed me, so they know that you know to send those kind of articles my way. But but I've got to assume it's going to start hitting mainstream more.
1: Yeah, I actually think this is. I mean, this is my next big mission, honestly. Uh, outside of teleport, I actually care about what a you know as a presentation I sent you, this idea of community, but also people are trying to find ways to do this in a world where everything is connected. And where we are somewhat addicted to technology, how do we build in uh, things in our life where we are going to see each other all the time? And so, you know, co living is one example, Um, but social clubs are another example. There, There are social clubs that are being built in New York where people, you know, come in, they have to see each other face to face. All it is is a retail location, physical location. And um, so, you know, instead of bookstores where you're meeting the book owner or bookstore owner and they're walking you through books, you're going to meet other people in similar industries in a physical location. So I think all these things are happening and you're seeing a backlash because I don't think people are stupid. People realize that something is missing. Um, 60% of all college students today have said they were lonely in the past 12 months, right? And so this is college students who are in a Collegiate environment. They're living surrounded in dorms, by people. surrounded by people, They're, the pressure is so low, yet they are actually depressed and lonely. This is, it's mind-blowing. So 60%, right? And I don't think that number is going down. Um, I think it's just going to increase, but I think people are recognizing that this is an issue. And I mean, surgeon, the former surgeon general is saying that loneliness is one of the biggest Greater threats. than
0: heart, heart issues and cancer.
1: Yeah. And so... Uh, this is, you know, I think a lot of money is already going in this direction. Um, but there, there isn't a, a solution yet that I've seen that sort of encompasses everything. But it has to do with this confrontation between innovation and uh, inefficiency. And it's, a, it's really hard because I asked this question when I do this exercise, this presentation. Do you care about your cell phone? which has the world's information all at the palm of your hand. You can communicate with every single one of your friends and family. Or do you care about sex? And I say sex because it's a question about relationships. Do you care about seeing people face-to-face? And I think most people would say, well, obviously, Bob, I would love relationships. But the reality is is you have actually not chosen that. You have subtly started moving towards towards your phone because you use it every day. Before you go to sleep, that's the last thing you see when you wake up is the first thing you see you have your phone with you all the time and so you're saying one thing but you're actually doing something else and so people are becoming more isolated and they're choosing to um inadvertently so this is a really interesting question like you recognize what's the problem but are you willing to give it up
0: so you get it this is why anyone who's listening i want you to uh, follow up the show i'm trying to get bob to uh, co-author uh the book on networking that i'm writing you know that uh, he clearly knows his stuff, so I really want to see some responses on telling Bob to write with me. <laughs> Bob, I, I really appreciate you coming in today. Hey, if someone wants to get in touch with you um, or learn more about your company, uh, how do they do that?
1: They can just email me, b-o-b-a-w-u at gmail.com.
0: Okay. Uh, the website, you want to talk about Teleport, anything in particular that you want to spread the gospel?
1: No, I mean, we're we're... You know, we're working with cities right now, and uh, that's very exciting. Uh, so, But happy to talk to anyone about relationships, about networking, about community, uh, what you can do in your own life, uh, and the small things, right? You don't have to do big changes, but just small things because it's all about, the you know, hardest part of anything is just starting. So if you like what you hear, if you like what you hear on NetworkWise, you like what you hear from Adam's other podcasts, I'm happy to chat about any of those.
0: So it's so funny. You talk about starting. I had a kid on my show here the other day, 17 years old, by the way. Amazing. Kid's 17 going on 47 in terms of worldliness, knowledge, getting it. And uh, he gets asked. He has a podcast also. He's been doing it a year. He's already done over 100 of them. He's had Gary Vaynerchuk on it, Mark Cuban, Jeff Bezos. I mean, he's just really brought in some people. And um, the, the best piece of advice that he says is just get started. Something so simple that people are just blocked so yeah, so so get started, don't be shy, reach out to Bob. Um, he's really good about getting back to people as well. I don't if know. If you how get he a referral it. from Adam even better. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, again, thanks thanks for uh, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. You make it a great day and always uh, network wise. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If so, check out some of my others on conversationswithconnor's.com. If you're someone looking to build a business, increase your sales, or make a career change, go to NetworkWise.com. There, you'll have access to a bunch of resources that can help you get started. Thanks again, make it a great day, and remember to always NetworkWise.